So I'm going to be reading in Matthew chapter 2. During this time of Advent, we're, we're taking a little break from Isaiah and we're looking at these first chapters in Matthew. And as I said, this Sunday we are looking at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. The coming of the wise men. So I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. You can find us on page 956 in the Bibles provided in the chairs. Matthew chapter 2, starting at verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, They returned to their country by another route. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful. We are grateful for your word, for your truth. Father, we pray that you would guide us in this time, that you would guide us through the power of your Holy Spirit, that we may know the truth, For to know the truth is to know your Son, Jesus Christ. 
to know your Son, Jesus Christ, who is the way, truth, and life, is to be set free and made right with you. So, Father, we pray that you would guide us in your truth at this time. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. Amen. As we look at Matthew chapter 2, we are reminded of some key things. As I said during the, the children's message, we have no idea how many wise men there are. We have no scriptural support of specific names or where these people are from. All that we know is they are from the rising of the sun from the east. That's all we know. We know that they are wise men. Um, The NIV translates it magi, those who studied the stars and studied scriptures and texts, seeking for, for wisdom, seeking for truth. And God comes to them and reveals things through the word to him and uses this star to guide them to his son, Jesus Christ. We know that they are not Jews. We know that they are of the nations. So these are Gentiles. And these are Gentiles being led miraculously by God. You can do everything you want to try to make this scientifically plausible with some preconceived notions of how stars or comets would work, and none of it works. The text makes clear that this star is miraculously, deliberately being moved by God It waits for their time in Jerusalem. After they head off from Jerusalem, the star moves and stops over the house where Jesus is. This is no naturally occurring phenomenon. This is as deliberately miraculous and supernatural a work of God as the conception of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit within her virgin womb. Again, Matthew is making clear, as the Spirit's inspiring, that God is sovereignly doing a work that is beyond our comprehension and beyond our ability. God is making clear that He is directing all of these events. So we don't know how many wise men there are. We don't know who they are. We don't know exactly where they're from. We don't know exactly their positions of power or authority. All we know is that they are magi, wise men. And they come to Herod. They come to Jerusalem. They come to the ruling authorities to seek wisdom from them because They have this star, and and they have some bits of the story. They know that this star is telling them of the king of the Jews, but they're missing 
a lot of information. So they're, they're coming seeking, and that's why they come to Jerusalem. And here we see this contrast in Matthew. Matthew is setting up this contrast between these Gentiles being drawn by God to his son Jesus Christ and Herod, who is supposedly the king of the Jews at the time. So here we have this contrast with the supposed king of the Jews, Herod, whose heart is wicked. His heart is wicked. All that Herod cares about is his power, his pride, his money, his ability to have control over the people. That's all Herod cares about. Herod is depicted here as wicked through and through. And if you looked at Psalm 1, you would get a good understanding of who Herod is. That's why I began the service with Psalm 1. Psalm 1 contrasts the blessed man with the wicked man. The blessed man with the wicked man. And as we looked at Psalm 1, it talks about the the blessed man. Verse 1, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Well, we're going to see this is what Herod does. He walks in the counsel of the wicked. Blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. And here we're going to see Herod as clearly depicted as someone who conspires, who counsels in wickedness, who stands in the way of sinners and sits in a mocking defiance of who God is and the truth of God for his own pride and position. But the one who is blessed in Psalm 2, verse 2, it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So here we see these Gentiles from the nations outside of the people of God who God is drawing to salvation, who God has elected and is bringing them to his son Jesus Christ while you have Herod in open defiance against the truth of God. So here you see this this powerful thing set up at Jesus' birth, it shows that Jesus isn't just king of the Jews, as the Magi were coming and they spoke that name. Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords, that he is king of every nation, every tribe, every language, and God's people will come and worship. God will make a way for all of his elect of every tribe and nation and language, God will lead them and draw them and bring them to his son and they will worship him. So this depiction of the wise men coming to Christ is again a depiction of how everyone ultimately is saved. That the Holy Spirit comes and makes us alive to give us eyes to see. And the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us to Jesus Christ where 
where we, where we confess our sins and, and, and we repent and we believe and trust and we fall down and worship him. So the process for the Magi is the process for every single person who comes to salvation. God draws them to himself and to his son, Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's the contrast here between the wise men and Herod. Here you see the blessed who walk in the ways who God is drawing to his son and who are seeking after God and Herod who is standing in opposition to God. And again, if you look at Matthew 2, verse 2, this is a powerful statement. Because they're asking, they're inquiring of Herod. Matthew 2, verse 2, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So for the wise men, their hearts are full of longing and anticipation and desire to be with that child. But when they say that term, king of the Jews, Herod has a very different desire. Herod cannot abide someone else being king. Herod is king. So that's why it says in verse 3, makes very clear in the text, when Herod the king heard this, he was disturbed. He was troubled. He was overcome with a mixture of of bewilderment and anger and frustration and consternation. He just was twisted. And all Jerusalem with them. The reason all Jerusalem with them was Herod was a thoroughly wicked tyrant. And if Herod is troubled, all Jerusalem is trouble. That's just how it goes. So you have everyone on edge. Is they're not fully knowing how Herod is going to react in his anger and in his troubled state. So verse 4, he goes to those who are the keepers of the law. So here are the people who most of these chief priests and scribes of the people, most of these people would have vast amounts of the Old Testament memorized, especially the chief priests. Amongst all the chief priests that he gathered together there, amongst all of them, they probably had in memory the entire Old Testament. That's how learned and studied and focused. So these people knew, and then they had all the scrolls. They had the text. So you could see them coming in with their memories and the scrolls and texts and citing. And when Herod asked them, verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him, verse 4, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him. Because this was known. This was clearly prophesied about. This was not a hard question for the chief priests and for the scribes. They knew. They knew. And they took him to Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5. That's 
That's the answer, Micah chapter 5. If you go to Micah chapter 5, 2 through 4, this is what they quote from. Here's that entire section, Micah chapter 5, starting at verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrata, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Here you see this prophecy that in Bethlehem, this coming shepherd, this king, this ruler from the throne of David. Remember the promise to David that someone would sit on his throne forever, someone from his lineage. So here you have the prophecy that in Bethlehem, you will have this shepherd, this king, and his glory and greatness will be known to the ends of the earth. And what's so powerful about this, when they quote this to Herod, here standing before them is evidence of the prophecy already coming true. Here are these wise men, these Gentiles, from the ends of the earth to the east, who have come seeking the greatness of this king. This prophecy is already fulfilled by the time Herod inquires of it. Jesus has already been born. Already the shepherds were brought by the angelic host. Already the word has went out. Already the wise men have traveled and seen the star. So already God is displaying that the greatness of the son Jesus Christ is to the ends of the earth. And that this Jesus will be king, not only of the Jews, but king of kings. He is king of every nation, every tribe, every language, because he's the only savior. He is the only way to the father. He is the only way to be made right for every tribe, language, people, and nation. It isn't just Micah. This is one of the most cited statements throughout the Old Testament. If you looked at Isaiah 60, Isaiah 60, it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And down to verse 3 of Isaiah 60, it says this, And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. And then down to verse 5, Then they shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exalt because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. Again, earlier in Isaiah, Isaiah 11, verse 10, it says this, In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, 
and his resting place shall be glorious. So this is what the chief priests and the scribes, they tell Herod. And here, Herod is looking at the wise men from the east, fulfilling this prophecy. Here already it is being displayed that this Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, and he will draw people from every nation to come and worship and believe and trust in him. So what's Herod's response? Verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly. Uh-oh. We're already having problems now. It's not a good way to go. Out of the crowd, out of the chief priests, the scribes are away. His own house servants, guards are put out. It's just... Herod and the wise men in a closed, locked room. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And already here we see the development of one of the most wicked, evil plans devised in all of Scripture. Herod only wants to know when that star appeared for one reason. So he could begin his timetable, his estimation of when Jesus was born and how old he would be at that time. It's only for one purpose. So that every male child within that age frame would be slaughtered in Bethlehem. Why? Because Herod is king, and he will not abide with another king over his life. So he continues on with his plan, verse 8, And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and... Remember what the devil does. The devil lies. The devil is the father of all lies. All the devil knows how to do is to kill, steal, and destroy. So here we see one of the most mocking, distorted lies uttered in the New Testament. Herod says this, that I too may come and worship him. Worship him. The wise men thought he was sincere. They had no other reason to know his heart and his intention. So verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. This is no ordinary star. God is making very clear that he is leading these people supernaturally to himself. Again, this is how everyone is saved. Every person who comes to salvation, God comes to them in their darkness, in their, in their 
rebellion and their hatred for God, God comes to them and makes them alive and shines his light and draws them. And when they see who God is and they see who Christ is through the power of the Holy Spirit, they can do no other than to worship, to be grateful and, and to give thanksgiving and worship and grace. It's, the process with the wise men is the process for every, every sinner who is saved, every lost person who is found, every person who goes from death to eternal life. And it's beautiful. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That's the way for the, the Greek, how you pile up things, pile up words and meanings and endings and that. It's to say they were out of their minds with joy. They were so happy and overjoying and rejoicing that you could imagine. They could barely contain themselves. Just overjoy. It was the greatest joy. What is this depicting is the greatest joy any human being can experience. That's, that's why it's stated in the way it is in verse 10. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. This was it. This was the greatest moment of their lives. There, no other moment will compare to, to the joy they are knowing and understanding and being expressed in that moment because now they have found the King. They have found the Savior. They have found God's Son. So verse 11, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, And I like the ESV translation here better. I think it's a better capturing of the words there. The NIV says, and they bowed down and worshiped him. But the key with this bowing that's depicted here isn't a bowing at the knees. This is a bowing at the feet. They fell down. They went prostrate is what's being depicted here. So they go from this overwhelming, exceeding joy to falling on their faces and worshiping Jesus Christ. Again, verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. And then they give their gifts. These are the treasures, the famous treasures of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So expensive, so valuable. This would have been a small fortune of treasures given. And this is very important. This is very important. Not only do these gifts show the honor and reverence given to Jesus Christ, these are very practical gifts. Because what's going to happen very soon? The angel's going to warn Joseph, get out of here. You got to take Jesus and you got to get out of here. You got to go to Egypt. 
So literally, this gold, frankincense, and myrrh is not only to display Jesus as the king, the one who will be king of kings, the one who will die and give his life on the cross. This is practical. Money in the bank to help Joseph and Mary for those years in Egypt as they're away to travel there and live and come back. So this is powerful how God is showing not only the reverence and lifting up, but God is providing through these wise men in a miraculous way. This is a powerful display of how God is showing he is in charge. He is sovereign every moment, every aspect of his plan of salvation. Everything, every detail is being taken care of perfectly by God. And again, we can understand that. For all those of us who are in Jesus Christ, we see where God is at work and he's bringing about his plan and he's bringing about his will. And at times it can be, it can be difficult for us because our ways are not always God's ways. Our timing is not always God's timing. But as the Holy Spirit grows us to trust and obey, because there is no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. That's, that's the lesson you see here with Mary and Joseph. That's the lesson for the wise men. That's the lesson for each and every one of us. Again, we see that work in our lives. Again, you can't neglect or too quickly read over these words when it says that they came planning to worship him. And then verse 11, where they fall down and worship him. Again, either these people are blaspheming pagans for worshiping this human child or they know that Jesus Christ is God. There's only two options. You only worship God. Remember, that's kind of the main theme of the Bible. You only worship God. You don't worship idols. You don't worship other people. You only worship the one true God. And here these wise men come, and they worship the one true God. It's amazing. It's amazing. So I started the service with Psalm 1, but at this time I want to end the message with Psalm 2. Psalm 2. Because what we see take place here within Herod's heart and mind is what we see take place again and again throughout the Scripture. So Psalm 2. As I read Psalm 2, I want you to think of Herod and, and how Herod thinks that he can, even though the Scriptures have prophesied it, even though there's a clear fulfillment of this prophecy by the wise men coming, even though God's Word has stated this to be true, Herod still thinks that he can pull one over on God or can 
stop God's plan or that he can keep power and control against God's will. That sounds pretty foolish, right? Well, how many times have we been in the same place? So this is Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord, against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. And here in verse 10, you have one of the greatest memory verses you can memorize in your life. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned. I just love that. Be wise, be warned. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Verse 11, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Herod, in our story, did not rejoice with trembling. But who did? The wise men. That's exactly what they did. The star stopped. They rejoiced. They were overjoyed. And when they saw the child, they fell down, prostrate in worship, and trembled before the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amazing. That's how the wise men fulfill this. Verse 12. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Again. Tying in with Psalm 1, blessed are. And here we see, blessed are those who take refuge in him. So that's my hope and prayer as we continue in these weeks approaching Christmas. That first and foremost in all our activities and all the things that we are a part of leading up to Christmas. That first and foremost is worshiping. The Son, Jesus Christ. Worshiping Him. Rejoicing in Him with trembling. Falling before Him. Knowing that He is our everything. But as also we approach this Christmas, throughout the joy, throughout the worship, each and every one of us has tears. 
each and every one of us. Because as we approach this Christmas, each and every one of us have a friend or a family member or someone we know who doesn't want to have any other king than themselves over their life. We, we get confused because we have people who we love and care for who are lost, and, and at times we can try to think in our minds, well, they're not as bad as Herod. It isn't as though they're trying to go out and kill and destroy Jesus Christ. But for those who do not believe and trust, the Scripture says within their hearts and minds, they do not love Jesus Christ. They do not want him as their king. They want to stay king. And they will do everything they can to keep anyone else from being ruler over their life. That's what it is to be lost. That's the state we were in when we were lost. So in the midst of the joy, in the midst of the celebration, in the midst of the worship, we still have tears as we long for, as we plead for, and as we cry out to God that everyone we know who doesn't know Jesus Christ, who doesn't believe in Him as as their Lord and Savior, we cry out, oh God, help them to worship your Son. Because that's what we want. Oh God, bring them to your Son, Jesus Christ, Help them when they see your face with trembling, that they will fall and worship him, that they will know that Jesus Christ is everything. And without him, they have nothing. Absolutely nothing. And as the story of the wise men makes clear, God can do it. God can do this. God can do this. So that's my hope and prayer. Every one of us, as we think of a friend or loved one who who it just seems like it's impossible that they'd ever believe in Jesus Christ, that they would ever worship Him. There's no way. (laughs) There is a way. If God can move this star around in the heavens according to his will to draw these wise men to his son Jesus Christ, then God can give a new heart to the most anti-Christ, rebellious sinner. Nothing is impossible with God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that just as you so graciously led the wise men so that they would fall down before your son, Jesus Christ, and worship him. Father, we thank you that you have done that to each and every one of us who know you. That you have made us alive, that you have brought us before your son, and we have come to see how beautiful and wonderful and glorious he is. And Father, we pray for for the lost, for the unbelieving, 
Oh, Lord, open their eyes. Give them new hearts. Open their ears so that they would rejoice and worship Your Son. In Christ's wonderful name, amen.